This is the iAfrican Catch-Up with Yarek Turiansky and Stephen Gruzd. They're from the African Peer Review Mechanism Program, which is located at the South African Institute of International Affairs. Hello, Yarek. Hello, Stephen. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Balungile. Thanks for having us on your show. Hi, Balungile. Perfect. So you guys wrote an article that uh, was uh, that's titled, Can Technological Advances Improve Governance in Africa? This was first published on the Mail and Guardian and also on the SIA website and we'll, we will provide a link uh, to this. But can you tell me basically what the African Peer Review Mechanism program is all about? So we are, as you said, a program at the South African Institute of International Affairs, which has been voted as Africa's top think tank, a public policy think tank for the last five or six years by the University of Pennsylvania, which does a big survey. And um, we track and monitor and write about and reflect on the African Peer Review Mechanism, which is a good governance, monitoring and assessment tool. It was established in 2003 in during the presidency of Thabo Mbeki in South Africa, was very much one of his, his brain children. And it is a voluntary process where African countries sign up and agree to assess their governance in four broad areas, democracy and political governance, economic governance and management, corporate governance and socioeconomic development. It uses a quite a complex questionnaire that asks many, many questions about all sorts of things from service delivery, macroeconomics, elections, human rights, rights of minorities, women, youth issues, corporate governance, a whole range of issues. And the country compiles a report. And once that self-assessment report is submitted to the central APRM secretariat, a team of experts comes and visits the country for a couple of weeks. They also do a report. These reports are put together. And finally, something called the country review report is developed. Then the heads of state who are participating discuss that report. And there's a program of action, which is meant to implement measures to overcome the gaps in governance that the self-assessment and the country review report have identified. It's called a national program of action. Countries are meant to then implement that and report on it periodically. And then they're meant to have second and subsequent reviews to see where they've made progress, to see where they haven't made progress. And again, all trying to improve governance in the country. That's as much of trying to get it into a very small nutshell. As uh, you could hear, Balungile, it's a rather uh, lengthy and uh, technical and uh, complicated process, which is unfortunately one of the reasons why it failed to capture the imaginations of African citizens. And now 13 years after its inception, still quite unknown outside certain uh, academic and elites and NGO circles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, like you described, it, it includes sort of a low-level to high-level review, which is comprehensive. And like you say, um, it does sound quite ambitious. But <laughs> in your article, you stated that good governance has to be pushed by the citizen. And then you go on to say the nature of the relationship between governments and ordinary people known as the social contract. And immediately when I saw social contract, I got excited because I know what that means. I studied sociology at WITS. But um, can you talk about this relationship between the citizens and governments? Um, w- when, when you spoke about the African peer review mechanism, you were also talking about other governments reviewing each other. But can we talk about that, relation, uh, that relationship Sorry, between citizens and their own governments and why technological advan- uh, advances would be important in this instance? Balungile, you know, if you're saying, you know, the social contract, I'm sure you know that uh, it's a philosophical concept that was developed uh, in the past few centuries by various philosophers trying to understand the nature of the relationship between the citizen, the subject, and and the government. And why do, at the end of the day, citizens choose to pay taxes, 
choose to obey laws. And it's based in that social contract so that in return for doing these things, the governments then provide citizens with protection from violence, providing security for them, but also providing them with certain goods. And those goods are, uh, you know, public access goods such as roads and lights, uh, transportation, et cetera, et cetera, protection from violence, as, as, a, as I mentioned, and, uh, you know, some sort of stability, some sort of security. Obviously, this varies uh, from country to country, and that's why sometimes we think of um, uh, failed states, you know, for instance, Somalia, where the government is confined to perhaps controlling the central bank and a couple of blocks in the capital, but not so much the other areas of the country which descend into lawlessness and, and almost a situation of a state of nature, you know, where every person has to fend for him or for herself. Obviously, information plays a key role here. And, you know, if you look at the situation half a century ago, a century ago, you know, if you would live in the remote part from the capital, you might have to wait for a telegram to arrive before you would find out exactly what's going on, if there's been a, a revolution, if there's been a protest, if there's been a change of the government, you know, people wouldn't find these things out for, for weeks and uh, months at an end. Whereas now it's all, you know, in your pocket, you can get all the major headlines and news on, on Twitter. You can find out exactly what's happening with uh, the traffic situation, with portholes, you know, there's plenty of uh, Twitterati that, uh, that provide these news. And obviously it's starting to have an element of uh, political accountability in it as well. You know, we've seen it through organization of uh, protests against certain governments in, in the Arab Spring, but we're also seeing uh, other, you know, more basic uh, service delivery uh, information and accountability. You know, if your lights are all of a sudden, you check your prepaid meter and uh, it still has cash in it, then you go on Twitter and then you tweet to your municipality and you're asking them, is this, a, is this an outage? You know, has a power station collapsed? Uh, you know, what's happening? And it's, it's much easier than for the citizen to communicate with his or her government. Right, and you mentioned what we saw in the Arab Spring. I know that your, your article also mentioned Ushahidi, which is also an election monitoring tool in Kenya. Uh, we've also seen here in South Africa, roads must fall, fees must fall. But there are some limitations, right, of technology. You mentioned slacktivism. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit Bit about those limitations that we see where yes we can be ambitious and yes we can be optimistic about what changes can happen uh, in terms of governance but where where sometimes do we fall short so slacktivism is a, a new word that's entered the oxford dictionary in the last couple of years and it's it's a, a kind of pejorative term for people who think they're activists but are actually slackers and uh, so by taking part in twitter campaigns like for example Bring back our girls in uh, in Nigeria for the the schoolgirls that were abducted in Chibok. It was a uh, went around the world in a couple of days, and uh, people like Michelle Obama and others were holding up signs and tweeting photographs of themselves, and there was a buzz on Twitter. So uh, people like to feel that they're doing something, but it's just pushing buttons on their phone or, or liking something on Facebook, and it, it takes a lot more to really make a change. Having said that. When enough people make a noise about something, it can indeed cause cause change, as we've seen in the in the Arab Spring and in the Freeze Must Fall and the the Roads Must Fall campaign. I mean, those were remarkable campaigns. All of them fueled by communication technology. For example, we we're based on Vist University campus, and I know that during the Freeze Must Fall, we were communicating by uh, by in a WhatsApp group as staff members, but certainly the protesters 
were also communicating with each other by WhatsApp and saying, you know, where should they go and uh, which entrances were blocked and, and et cetera. So, yes, there are limits. Um, and I think sometimes we, we expect technology to solve everything where the, you always have to have hard work, you have to have dedication, and you have to have a relationship, as you said earlier, between citizens and the state. And one of the things that the peer review mechanism tries to do, particularly in, in other African countries, in, in South Africa, we have lots of forums where uh, citizens can interact with their government. We're quite a connected country. We, you know, all the major institutions have, have websites and Twitter handles, and they do interact and, and uh, respond to people. But in many other countries, that's not the case. And the opportunity to talk to somebody in government is extremely rare. And so what the, the peer review mechanism does, has inbuilt in it, is the need for consultation with the public. Now, that can also be a very complex process and who is talked to and when and how and talks about power relationships. But in the end, it really does try to foster a partnership between citizens and their government, which is all too rare. I think uh, citizens vote every four or five years in a, on our continent and sometimes they, they complain about the services that they don't get. But really, a chance to, to talk about policy and try to influence it uh, is, is quite rare on the continent. Yeah, so technology is not a panacea. You know, it provides a, a great tool for, for communication and for information. But that demand for accountability from the government still has to come from the citizens. Great. And social media is a big one. We've already spoken about the Arab Spring and the hashtag, the hashtag must fall movements. And, and I know that it's a big one, especially amongst young people and politicians. Some politicians are very active on Twitter, as I've seen lately. Curious about your perspective on that in terms of young people. When we talk about governance, we often talk about high level events that are happening often that are out of the reach of young people. So how do we use Use technology to sort of bridge that gap. I think that you know the spread of technology, the spread of smartphones in particular, uh, which have far outstripped the the landlines in 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 Africa. We kind of just leapfrogged over that. We we had so few landlines that with the new technology, cell phones have become ubiquitous, and particularly smartphones. And really, you have the power in your hands. You can communicate with your peers, with your friends, with your colleagues, and you can you can also communicate with institutions, with government departments. I think that the, the information needs to be packaged in a way that's appealing and, and attractive to young people. They, like, like older people, nobody wants to read a 500-page report. Stuff has got to be short, sharp, accessible, to the point, you know, use of pictures, use of graphics. But but the world has become very democratized. And there's a lot of talk, for example, about citizen journalism. Even the, the big uh, uh, news organizations like CNN and, and BBC uh, encourage people to take their own videos of, of news events and send them in. And they, you know... It's no longer a one-to-one -one relationship. It's a many-to-many -many relationship, which brings with it all sorts of complications, but also has tremendous power. I mean, just uh, one, one small example is, is in South Africa, we have the Outsurance Pointsman, which was a, a commercial company, an insurance company, decided to put up policemen, uh, sorry, traffic, traffic officers to direct traffic. And they've developed an app where if you see traffic congestion in a particular place, you can suggest through geomapping and, and GPS technology that traffic cop gets put into that area to help alleviate the traffic. And there's a lot of that being done. You mentioned Ushahidi. They do a lot of that kind of stuff in Kenya. Uh, there's stuff like that going on in Tanzania, in, in many parts. There are all sorts of exciting experiments. And a lot of people who are driving this and doing this are, are younger. Yeah, and you know, at, at the same time, I find your question interesting in terms of how it can connect younger people to older politicians. You know, certainly from 
from the one side, it makes uh, the the politicians appear a bit closer uh, to the electorate. Uh, you know, instead of having to send a fax, write an email, a tweet is uh, you know just uh, just the way where where your phone is. And I mean, you look. Um, if you look at the example of cases of the official opposition in South Africa, sometimes it's been utilized very well with someone like Helen Zilla, who's often uh, responded to people that have asked her questions and, and challenged her on Twitter. And, you know, she very often responded to them. But at the same time, when they had the hashtag uh, Ask Musi campaign, uh, Twitter interview, that sort of backfired because perhaps not all the questions that they wanted were coming through. You know, I mean, s- uh, similar examples can be brought with the ruling party as well, with the with the hashtag Asblade when uh, lots of complaints were being raised about the fees must fall and the, and the roads must fall campaign. So, you know, it's on a case-to-case basis and technology does provide that tool, but it's also unpredictable. And sometimes, you know, the, the internet population can react in two very, very different ways in uh, similar scenarios. All right, so let's talk about those issues that you, one of you mentioned earlier. Let's talk about governing techno- uh, technological advances, uh, advances because often policy takes a while to catch up with advances with advancements that often take a while to build but can often take off overnight and sometimes that can be a good thing what we saw uh, again with the Arab Spring you know with the use of Twitter Facebook and like you said WhatsApp groups where we can communicate instantaneously but as governance experts what would your advice be for policymakers in terms of ensuring that these technological advancements are used for good and not for the bad you know it's very difficult to make value judgments on technology because technology at the end of the day is value neutral. Like you're saying, the the internet can be used for for good and it can be used for evil as well. You know, it makes it easier not only for, let's say, like-minded people to, to get together to bring about social and political change, but also for terrorists to find each other and group together and commit atrocities and then spread their message of hate. But at the end of the day, personally, I believe in an, in an open, uh, internet that's, uh, that's not controlled. Sure, you can have limitations and, and you can have rules, but at the end of the day, it becomes very difficult when governments try to, to control the internet. So ways must be found, better ways than currently exist to make it self-regulating. And also the other thing is I think there's a big move internationally for what's called open data in getting information out there, putting data sets that many of these institutions are collecting all the time, releasing them, allowing people to play with them, to, to manipulate them, to experiment with them and come up with brilliant ideas. I was just at a, a conference in Cape Town on the Open Government Partnership, which is another tool for promoting uh, good governance. And a lot of talk there was about open data and how making information available, open, open data is connected to freedom of information laws and, and regulations. And those things are fundamental for governing these days. Government departments now put a lot of their forms online. Uh, they're going high tech. Soon you will be able to apply for your smart IDs electronically. I, I tried to do it yesterday, the other day, actually, but it's only for people in the age group of 30 to 35 at the moment. So unfortunately, I'm a little bit older than that and uh, wasn't able to do it. But governments are also learning from each other. I think many, many governments in the north are quite advanced and, and want to share their technology and share their ideas. And slowly, slowly, it's filtering into the global south, of which Africa is an important part. But we have wonderful innovations, very, very exciting things happening on the African continent in the realms of, of bringing governance and technology together, finding ways 
for people to make their life better through open information and access to that information. Great. Is there anything that you gentlemen would like to add? Anything that I might have missed that you feel needs to be put out there? Yeah, the one thing is, is we, we're looking for examples. We're looking for case studies of things that have really worked and that could potentially be spread to, to other countries where countries could learn from one another. That's one of the things that's, that's very exciting about our work at the moment. And we are searching. We know lots of stuff's going on out there, but uh, trying to put it together is, is a challenge. And we, we, we're always looking for good examples. So how do people get in touch with you? I guess they can find us on the SIA website, which is www.sia.org.za. And then our email addresses are available there. Or you can search for, for us on Twitter. Thank you so much, Yarek. In- Stephen from the African Peer Review Mechanism Program, which is hosted at SIA at Wits University. We've been speaking about how technological advances can improve governance in Africa and we'll make available the contact details at the program so anybody who's interested in getting involved can get in touch. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Bill. Thank you very much.